You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, including our gathering times at Fishers, Eagle Creek, Noblesville, Pendleton, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Ross Steele. We're preaching of 2 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 today. So as you're flipping uh, to your books or pulling it up on your phone, uh, on your Bible lab, whatever it may be, uh, I'm going to just want to give you a, a little context here. And I believe there's something that I heard this week that really hit home. And I was like, man, how do I, how do I fit this into this message? It doesn't exactly fit until I really dove into it a little bit more. I was like, I was like okay, no, this is exactly how it's going to work. Um, and, and I say, this is what I heard. We are a world that chases dopamine and serotonin. And if you were with us last week for Easter, you heard my story. And so you know that I did that, but I'm not the only one. You see, we chase dopamine and ser- serotonin so much in our life. We chase a feeling is what we're chasing. And dopamine makes you feel good and serotonin makes you feel happy. And if we aren't careful... We can do that same thing with Jesus. Jesus is just another means for us of of dopamine or serotonin. And that happens when you go and get in your Bible time and you go, yeah, I didn't really feel anything. But Jesus isn't just another pill. You don't have to feel something every time to know that he is working. He is still working. And, and, and if when you get in the presence of God, you, you are mad or you leave frustrated because you didn't feel anything, you recognize that you came into the presence with false motives entirely. We may come trying to get something instead of getting next to someone. And God is not a means to an end. That is dopamine. That is serotonin. It is a means to an end. He is, God is the means, and he is the end. So are you seeking God, or are you seeking the feeling of God? What false motives maybe did you come here with today? We're going to start in verse 1, chapter 3, 2 Samuel. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. Sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon, and I'm not going to exactly read all of this because I can't pronounce them all correctly, so we're just going to skip through them. And uh, his second, uh, uh, Kiliab, I may have said that wrong as well. Uh, his wife, he had six wives. So that's what we know right now at this point. David, David, uh, David has six wives. So these are his six children that have essentially come from these six wives. Uh, and then we have Absalom. And then we have Adonijah and uh, Sephatiah and uh, the sixth Ithrium. And then we, I think that's that. Okay, so I know that was a lot. I didn't read it all, but if you look at your text, that's where it is. And honestly, Pastor Kathy, if I said any of those wrong, you can correct me at any time. So uh, uh, she, I looked at Pastor Kathy. She's like, she, she, she puts me in line. So uh, I, I looked, I looked at her for a lot of wisdom. Uh, and so, so these are these are the, the the children that David has had, and these are from his six wives. So. You're, you may be thinking, well, David has six wives, yet he's so blessed, all this stuff. Well, 
First we see in verse 1 is that there's a long war. There's a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And I say that in this world, there's also a long war between what God established and what man has established. God established truth and man established religion. And we come in between these, 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 these establishments, basically, they're, they're coming head to head. It's relationship versus religion. It's truth versus religion. Man has created religion when it's not about religion at all, but really it's more about relationship with Jesus. And David has a seven-year reign in Hebron, and his six different wives gave birth to six sons, which we somewhat kind of learned the names here. And uh, this shows us that David went directly against the commandment. That, that is given in Deuteronomy 17, 17. And in Deuteronomy 17, it says this, he shall not multiply wives for himself or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. The, the, the first part here is he shall not multiply wives for himself. So David directly disobeys. He directly goes against God's commandment that he gives here in Deuteronomy. And that the Israel's king should not multiply wives to himself. And it begs the question, where is the faithful friend who will wound him with truth? And Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You say, you say Ross, what does that exactly mean? Well, I think often in our world, we are too worried about offending somebody, maybe somebody we don't know, or even most often it's offending people that we do know, family, friends, loved one, whatever it may be, a coworker, whatever it may be. But if you consider them a friend in your life and you want the best for them, then why are we holding back sharing the good news of Jesus? Why are we holding back sharing the gospel, right? And that begs the question of, of where is this faithful friend? For accountability purposes, where is the friend that's coming to David saying, hey, you're going, you're going against God's commandment here. You're going against what, what, he, is, what he has ordered for, for Israel's king not to multiply wives. You know, when we stray, when we make mistakes, when we choose to, to make a decision that is, goes against God's word, where is this friend? And the same goes in our lives today. Do you have that friend in your life who will say, hey, that, you're, that's not good, okay? You need, to, you need to cut that off right now. You need to stop right now. Um, or are you that friend to anybody? Or are you, maybe you fall on the line of, hey, you know, I, you know, I don't really want to offend. I don't want them to be upset with me. Well, oftentimes when correction comes, the, the, first, the first thing that comes to our mind is offense, generally speaking. And that's why, that's why uh, offense is the bait of Satan. There's a book on it, John Bevere, Bait of Satan. I've talked about it before. And it talks about offense. It talks about how offense, it, 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 the enemy uses offense in our lives to, to take us away from what God wants us. And we have to recognize that we need to, we need to be that faithful friend. And we need those faithful friends in our lives. We need account, accountability. The deceivers, the enemy, just keeps kissing us with lies. He, you know, the, the enemy, he wants, he wants our lives. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. They want us to be compromised just as they are compromised. 
And community is so important in these moments. We don't, want, we don't want people necessarily just coming to live church just to be here on Sunday. Guys, we want you involved in life groups. We want you, the, the connect to grow part of our plan is, is, is life groups itself. We, we realize and we recognize the importance of community. And we need that in our lives for to be that faithful friend, somebody in that group. When, when, when something happens and you are connected in life group, something happens, you need a pastoral care need, that life group gathers up, they, they rally the troops, they say, hey, we're going to come right alongside you. Hey, we're going to pray with you. Hey, we're going to provide a meal train. Hey, we're going to do this, that, or the other. The group concept is so important in our lives. And oftentimes we just show up to church on Sunday and we kind of forget or we don't step into that part because we're too busy. But when we're too busy, the enemy preys on that. And we have, and that just brings me to the point, we have an awesome event coming up, awesome women's event that's going to be coming up on April 29th. And it's, it's for all women, all, all ages, all walks of life, whatever. You, it's going to be hosted at Noblesville campus. And this is a great community event for women. We also have a men's event every year as well. We don't leave the men out. Uh, we pour into our men just as much as we do our women. But I want you guys to know, like, this is a great opportunity. If you haven't signed up for it and you're a woman, I, I want you there. This is something that I think that you should be at. You will grow immensely in community. And, and maybe even so, you're going to grow in your spiritual life and your spiritual walk as well because you're going to meet great people to be able to come alongside you as you continue to walk out what God has for you. And, and, and as we continue talking about uh, verses 1 through 5, we continue talking about the, the five wives. This also goes directly, or the six wives, this also goes directly against God's heart for marriage. In Genesis 2, Verse 24 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. Not six flesh. Not wives. Okay? It is one wife. It is, it is, it is right there. It's in the text. It's clear as day. It is one wife. Okay? And then also in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, it says, And he answered and he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And verse 6 says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So we look at Genesis, we look at the beginning, Old Testament, and some people be like, well, I don't really necessarily go necessarily. I don't, you know, they, some people may think, you know, Old Testament isn't as important, but New Testament, is, or, or it's more important or whatever. They're both equally important, okay? And that's why we do expository. That's why we go. We're in the Old Testament right now. And it, it, it's, it's contextualized here in Genesis and Matthew, Old Testament, New Testament. They're saying the same thing. They're just equally as important. It is for one man and one woman to come together to become one flesh. But at this time, polygamy was common at this time, okay? It was a, it was a way for, for men to express, uh, for great men really, to express their, their power and their status. They say, I have this many wives, okay? It, it, it was their way of saying, I'm powerful, I'm great, I'm mighty, okay? Well, they're wrong. Um, and David, David was troubled because of this decision. Some may wonder why the text doesn't expressly condemn this act. But 
As we know, as often is the case, Scripture simply states the fact and then later records how David reaped the penalty for this sort of sin in regard to his family. So we learned about the sons, okay, and we're going to dive in. We're going to see, okay, what happened with his sons? We can say God uses and blesses David despite his many wives, yet his family and these sons were obviously not blessed. Amnon raped his half-sister and murdered, uh, and was murdered by his half-brother. Uh, Kiliab and uh, Shephatiah and Ithriam was rarely mentioned, which usually indicates either died young or was an ungodly and unworthy man. Absalom murdered his half-brother and led a civil war against his father David, attempting to murder him. Adonijah tried to seize the throne from David and then tried to take on, uh, take on, take one of his concubines and was executed for his arrogance. See, these are his children. Because of his sin, now his now his children have been cursed. They've been they've been uh, put in bondage because of it. And this is a good example of generational curses. This is a good example of generational sin, of generational bondage. Whatever word you want to put with it, this is a good example of it. David goes directly against God's will for marriage, and I believe never fully repented, and his sons never broke this generational curse. But I'm saying today that I bring this up because you have the ability, no matter what your family had done before you, no matter how how wicked or how far off from God they were, or even how you were uh, before maybe you're here today and you're, you, you, you carry a lot of weight, but you don't have children yet, but you still have the power, you still have the opportunity, you still have the authority in the name of Jesus to bring down generational strongholds, to bring down generational curses, to bring down generational sins of your life. You don't have to live with that any longer. You don't have to live with that. It may be a generational curse. It may be a generational sin, but you don't have to accept that over your life. You can come against it by the mighty power of Jesus. And in general, you may wonder how you, may wonder how you know if something is a spiritual battle or not. You know, people are like, oh, is it spiritual or is it a spiritual battle or is it just, you know, just whatever? Is it just life? Well, this is my opinion on it. I think there's only one question that you need to ask yourself if, it, if it's a spiritual battle or not. Is it a battle? If it is a battle, then it is a spiritual battle. This is how I know, because in Ephesians 6, 12, it says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. For our struggle, for our battle, otherwise known as battle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So whether you're in a tiff with, with a loved one, a, a parent, a coworker, whatever it may be, that is flesh and blood. Okay? So... It tells us right here, the struggle is not against flesh and blood. So we know that no matter what it is, no matter what battle, and you could try to downplay it as much as you want and be like, well, it's not really spiritual. No, it is spiritual. It is a spiritual battle because it is against the rulers, against the powers, against the principalities of darkness and the spiritual forces in this world. And you can see that. You can see that the enemy will use anything in our lives to come against us, to take us down and to redirect our lives away from God. He's going to do whatever he can to try to steer us away from him. And we have to recognize that, that this shows that our struggle, all of it, not just some of it, but all of it, is spiritual. And that gives us a good preface because as Christians, we need to make sure that we are, 
that, that when we are warring, when we are battling, that we are attacking the area from which it comes. It's not against flesh and blood. We should always pray, always pray for God to change people's hearts. But we have to recognize, we have to recognize what is influencing their hearts. You say, God, you know, God just changed their hearts. But, but you also need to be praying the prayer. God, silence the accuser. God, silence the voice of the liar. God, silence the voice of the deceiver. Because the scripture says the enemy is the father of lies. So you may be in a battle with somebody. You may be in disagreement with somebody in your life, but you recognize that they're just being deceived. They're being lied to. They're being, you know, they, they have the accuser speaking in their ear. And, and it's not necessarily them that you're battling because that's flesh and blood. We have to battle on that turf, recognizing that it is a spiritual battle. Every battle is spiritual. And we continue in verse 6 and 7. And it came about where... Oh, there we go. It came about while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. And now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of, of Aiah, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? See, the war between the houses is as the war between culture, this world, and kingdom of heaven. It is easy to make ourselves strong in this world, but true strength comes from God. On this side of heaven, you have a choice. Which house are you going to live in? Which house are you going to fight for? You can be mighty and strong warrior for the kingdom of heaven today, but you have a decision to make. Which house are you going to live in? It seems that Abner supported a weak man. Abner, Abner saw Ishbosheth as weak in power so that he could be the power behind the throne. He was wanting to increase his influence on his own. And this is a selfish motive. He continued to increase in strength and, and influence in the house of Saul. And in this time, to take a wife or, or a concubine of the late monarch was to appropriate his property and to make a bid for the throne. Abner taking this concubine is a sign of disrespect. Abner is seen as not a man of honor. And it may seem weird that they were making such a deal of this because Saul was already dead. But in their thinking, the king's bride belonged to Saul. The king's bride belonged to him and him alone, even if he was absent. It's still his. That's how they viewed it. But this principle is even more true for Jesus and his bride, the church which is no building. The church, the church is no building. It, it is you and I today, which belongs to no one but Jesus. It is to take the bride of Christ as if she were our own possession. The church is not ours. The church, you and I, us as people, we are his, okay? And we need to recognize that's, this is what's happening here. It's a battle Right here, the battle between the houses, the battle between, between, between good and evil, right here that we see in this world. And we're going to, as we, as we come to wrap up, we're going to go to verse 8 here. And verse 8 says this. Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show kindness to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hands of David. And yet today you charge me with a guilt concerning the woman. 
May God do so to Abner and more also, if as the Lord has sworn to David, I do not accomplish this for him. To transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and to establish the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to even Beersheba. And he could no longer answer Abner a word because he was afraid of him. You may wonder, why was Abner so angry? Why was he so angry? That he, was he angry that he got caught? Was he angry that maybe th- there's theories that maybe he, he wasn't actually, like it was just an accusation. It wasn't actually true um, that the Ishbosheth was making stuff. Like there was all these conf- conversations around it. But Abner's angry response toward Ishbosheth, I believe, is due to him seeing him as weakness. See, people have a hard time following a weak leader. We see that in our country today. When we have a weak leader who, quite honestly, can barely form sentences and, or stand with, with our allies when they need us most and has directly stood against the word of God on, on every facet from abortion to anything else, you name it, they're viewed as weak. And our nation is in a turmoil because of this leadership. I fully believe that. And yet we still pray. Just because they, there's weak leaders around us, maybe it's in our country, we look at it from that scope, or maybe in our schools, or maybe in our workplaces, or maybe in our homes even. We still pray. We are a praying church. We must continue to pray. We must continue to pray over our leaders regardless of the side of the aisle, regardless of whether they are standing with God or against God. We need to be praying for them at all times. It is so valuable and so important because we can't change people's hearts. Only God can. Only God can change the hearts of his people. And Ishbosheth is not worthy of Abner's respect in his mind. That's what he's thinking. Is Abner deceptive? Is Abner, is Abner innocent? The same respect that David gives Abner is what he gave Saul. Abner told Ishbosheth that he would not support David and help David fulfill what the Lord promised. If Abner knew that David was God's choice for king, he had no good reason to fight against him before this. None at all. See, Abner, Abner's a good example. It's a good example of those of us who know things to be true, but we don't live as if they are. Abner did the right thing in joining David's side, but he did it for the wrong reason or for false motives. Instead of joining David because Ishbosheth offended him personally, he should have joined David because he knew that David was God's choice to be king. See, we are Abner. Abner's selfishness is our own selfishness. Abner's false motives are our own false motives at times. But God still restored him and redeemed him in time. It's foolish attempts for ourselves. See, sin, sin is fun for a season, but it leads to destruction. On the other end of the spectrum, spectrum we, have, we have the Lord, who is leading us the opposite way. See, Christianity is not a subculture of the world. Christianity is counterculture counter of this world. God is leading us the opposite way. 
He is leading us to life. Along the way, you face these small deaths here and there, and you get, you get, you get down on yourself. You're like, oh, this, this is hard. This is hard to carry. This is hard to take on. And then you kind of, you kind of drift back to where you were because you don't want to be refined in that fire. But along the way, as he's leading us the opposite way, as he's leading us to life, we have these small deaths here and there. What, what that is is we are shedding the sinful exo, exoskeleton, and the new you who is made in the image of Christ is coming into full focus. So when we finally make the Lord of our life and put the right king on the throne, the poser king becomes afraid. Who, who is the poser king? Who's the poser king in your life? Is it you? Is, is, it, is it somebody that you just put on that throne right above Christ? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe... It's just the enemy himself. See, there is no perfect man. We see that with David. We see that with Abner. We, we see it here all throughout the text. There is no perfect man except one. There was only one perfect man. That was Jesus Christ alone. But God still uses them for his purpose. He uses all evil for good. He, he can make it all good. And sometimes, even when we serve the Lord... It's for our own gain or our own means. But we aren't the Lord of our own lives. We can certainly live that way. But that leads to a life of brokenness, destruction, and generational bondage. He is Lord and he is Savior. Jesus is the rightful king. Our houses have been made our houses have been in a long war with him. And it is time to admit our house is being ruled by a man of shame. It's time to admit that our house is being ruled by somebody else besides Jesus. And it's time to abandon that. Return to the real king. With every head bowed and and, and eyes closed this morning. I just want us to reflect. I want to take a moment of reflection today for our lives. And have you given up control to him? Ask these questions to yourself this morning. What false motives in your life need to be exposed, confronted, and redeemed today? Have you placed him on the throne of your life? Do you put more effort into relationships around you than you do Jesus and your relationship with him? Do you rely on the things of this world to bring you peace and happiness, the dopamine and serotonin, more than you do that of depending on the Father? What do you run to when you're scared? What do you run to when you feel broken? And this morning, I want to give an opportunity. Our prayer team's going to be down front, and I want to give the opportunity this morning for us to come up, stand and walk in faith to the altar, to lay down any bondage, any shame, 
any fear, whatever we may have, whatever we may hold, whatever we may have come in here with this morning, I wanna take this opportunity. If you have any idols in your life this morning, we all do. I wanna take the opportunity for us to, to abandon that idol, surrender it to God, and allow Jesus, place Jesus on the throne of your life. Guys, when we, when we are not placing him at the throne, the enemy is thriving because the enemy recognizes that he has successfully won this one battle. He's got you distracted. And, and in that distraction, you're not doing the work that God has called you to do. So I want to cut out all the distractions. And I want to stand against them. Any gen generational sin, any generational curses that you may feel be on your life today, we're going to come against them in the name of Jesus. And we're going to pray for them in the name of Jesus. And we are going to believe that the Lord will be here. He's going to meet you right where you're at. And he's going to set you free. Set you free from the bondage. He's going to set you free from the shame. He's going to set you, set you free from the, the, your desire to be in control. He's going to set you free from your false motives. Just ask him this morning, Lord, what in my life do I need to let go of? What in my life do I need to release? What in my life do I need to not focus so much on? What in my life do I need to put more effort into? Is that a relationship with you? Do I have that relationship with you, God? What does that look like? Well, we have a team here. We have our prayer team who has all these answers. And God has all those answers as well. And if you allow him, and if you come to him, he will make known what you need to hear, what you need to, what you need to hear, what you need to see, what you need to do this morning. Father, we come before you. Lord, I pray that in this moment, in this last song, God, that you will just, that there will just be a spirit of confidence, a spirit of confidence that flows through your people that are with us this morning, God. And even anybody who may be listening online at a later date, I pray that you just give them a spirit of confidence as well, God. I pray that you will give them the confidence to, to stand against the schemes and the lies and the deceit from the enemy and that you will just fill them up, Father, with the confidence to step forth, to come to the altar, Father. There's no shame in that. Honestly, there, there is more strength in coming to the altar than there is weakness, Father. Because in our weakness, you are made strong, Father. And we know, God, that, 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 that there is bondage, there is shame, there is doubt, there is anxiety, there is depression, there is suicide, there is, there is the unknown, Father, the fear of the unknown. Uh, God, we are in different seasons of our life today, Lord, but you know exactly where each and every one of us are this morning. And I pray, Lord, that this morning that we will be made new and that we will be made clean, Father. That you, will, that you will just speak to us directly, God, and that, that, that these, these altars will be flooding with your presence, Father. That these altars will be flooding, Father, with, with a response, Jesus, to you, to you alone, Lord. It is not about me. May, may, may I decrease. May this worship team decrease so that you may increase. May you be known across the lands, Father. May you do a work in our hearts this morning, God. And as we're ushered into your presence, God, I pray for generational bondage, for generational shame, for, 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 for generational curses to be broken in the name of Jesus. I pray for our false motives, Lord, to be redirected. 
call out the lies in our life, Lord, that we've been telling ourselves or that people have spoken over us or that the enemy comes to speak to us, God. Call those lies out. Shine a light on them, Lord, and may just like the wonderful healer that you are, the surgeon that you are, God, that you'll just cut it out of us and you'll make us new and you'll make us clean and pure, Father, because we want that relationship with you, Jesus. You are mighty. You are the true King Jesus. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.